This is Trainer Talk, presented by Fasig Tipton on the Horse Racing Radio, Horse Network. Racing Radio Network. Trainer Todd Fletcher has reached the stratosphere. It was all have another for Doug O'Neill. Moon over Miami for Bill Mott. 3,000 for trainer Mark Cassie. Trainer D-Way Lucas, a six win. And Bob Baffert with another incredible milestone. But it was all for Scott McGee. Win number 1,000 for the great Trevor McCarthy. Here's 2,000 for Nick Zito. Steve Asperson is now North America's all-time leading trainer. Now, here's Mike Penna. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Trainer Talk, presented by Fasic Tipton. This, of course, is the show trainers listen to, and you are listening right here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Mike Penna, Baron of the Backstretch, happy to have you along for the ride for the next hour on Sirius 162 XM 207, streaming worldwide at horseracingradio.net and available anywhere you get your podcast each and every week. Well, my guest today has saddled 256 career winners. He's a native of Lexington, Kentucky and son of a prominent veterinarian. Horse racing has always been in his blood. Over the past few years, his career has gone to new heights in large part because of graded stakes winners such as Bell's the One and Happy American, both of whom campaigned in the colors of Midwest business leader, entrepreneur and philanthropist Bob Lothenbach. Bob passed away suddenly on November 14th at the age of of 64. His passing leaves an enormous void in the sport of thoroughbred racing, and nobody is more aware of that fact than trainer Neil Pesson, who joins me right now on this week's edition of Trainer Talk presented by Fasic Tipton. Neil, first of all, my condolences on the passing of Bob, who was both a client and a friend to you. Uh, what goes through your mind when you hear the name Bob Lothenbach? Uh, gratitude. Just grateful for the opportunity he gave me and the horses that we had together and we had a lot of fun what was it about bob that made him so successful not just in life but certainly in horse racing well i think the main thing was an even keel i mean he took winning and losing the same you know some some a lot of people get real upset if they lose a race or you know, a horse doesn't run as well as expected. And Bob took it all with a grain of salt because he knew the big picture and didn't just look at one race. He looked at what we were trying to do in developing horses. And uh, even if we had a bad ride sometimes, uh, he said, oh, that's okay, ride the kid back. He won't make the same mistake twice. But mm. he just had an even keel to him, and he was – he really didn't have a business sense when it came to horse racing because he hated to sell anything. <laughs> but, but even though we begged him a few times to sell a couple but other than that he went about it in a realistic way and he knew exactly what he was doing with everything and it was always even keel the whole way I mean he'd get excited when Bell ran a few times you know that type of thing but overall win, lose or draw he was the same person How did you first meet him? I actually threw Chris Block. The first year and a half I trained for him, I couldn't tell you what he sounded like or looked like. Wow. And I was in Chicago, and Chris had some overflow and gave me a couple of the Lozenbach horses. And I'd either talk to Chris or the racing manager after the races. And I finally met Bob, I believe it was at Arlington Park, when he came up one summer for the, to watch a horse run. And then we just became very close after that. 
and it's a relationship that, <clears throat> as you said, you feel very grateful to have been put in touch with Bob Lothenbach. But in terms of what he did in his life away from racing, Neil, um, you know, obviously I mentioned the fact that he was an entrepreneur and a <clears throat> philanthropist. He helped an awful lot of people. Talk more about that side of him. Well, he did a lot of stuff without getting the notoriety for it. He didn't want people to know a lot of the stuff he did. And, you know, like he was big on literacy because he had uh, a little dyslexia himself and had trouble with that. So he actually, I think, started the backside, one of the backside learning centers for that at Canterbury. He was big on Minnesota. That's where he was from. That's where he started his business. And he was real big on Minnesota. That's why he had a lot of Minnesota breads. He had a huge influence in Minnesota. But he had a lot of charities that he gave to without trying to get reciprocation of anything for. And that's the way he'd been for a long time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Chris Block described him in an article that came out after his passing. And he said, just like you just mentioned, he said he took the good news and the bad news and was tremendously loyal to all of his trainers. And it sounds to me like that's just the way he approached his life. He was a very loyal person in business and in horse racing. He was, even in his businesses, if somebody screwed up, and this isn't me just reading stuff or him telling me, this is people that screwed up that worked for him telling me and people that worked right under him who wanted to get rid of some people. And they, he'd say, well, he's got a family, right? He's got a wife, kids. says, yeah. He says, why can't we help him if he if they had a drug problem? Why can't we help him get in a rehab and then bring him back? And that's what he did with quite a few people. If they had issues, he helped them and brought them back, and they were better at their job than when they even hired them or even expected them to be mm. because they were loyal and grateful to him for what he did for them. And no one ever says anything about that kind of thing where most corporate people would have fired fired the people and he helps them get some turned around and they move on and are better with their lives that's a and wonderful that, story i don't know how you repay that yeah it's a wonderful story and the one thing that i hear mentioned <clears throat> quite often when i talk to owners or trainers about horses they say the key to being successful is patience and it sounds to me like like Bob was a very patient person, as you just mentioned, his employees, the people that he surrounded himself with. And I would imagine with his horses too. It sounds to me like he was probably very patient with his horses. He let us pretty much have free range to what we wanted to do. Like if you tell an owner, you want to turn a horse out. First question is, well, what's wrong with it? Well, nothing. He just needs a little break right now. Little physical, a little, but mostly mental, just, Needs a little break. Well, but there's a race in the condition book in two weeks that fits him. That's that's what a lot of owners say because the condition books are online now. They know when their next race is. Mm-hmm. With Bob, I'd say, look, I'd like to turn this filly out for 60 days. Okay, go ahead. That was the end of the discussion. We turned her out for 60, sometimes 90 days. Yeah. They'd come back. They'd be better. Like Bell got turned out quite a few times during the year. Sometimes it's only for two weeks. Sometimes it's for 30 days. But she'd get turned out every now and then. And Bob would never say, well, isn't there a race for in in three weeks? You never got that. You got okay. 
when I wanted to skip the Breeders' Cup. I, he might be the only owner in the country that would say okay to that. But he did. He said, well, what do you think's best for her? I said, I think it's best we skip. If we run at Churchill, we'll make more money for winning than if we run second in the Breeders' Cup. He said, okay, do what you think is best. Yeah. How many owners would do that? Very few. Yeah. You know, he put the horse first, and he let us make a lot of decisions about whether we wanted, you know, turning out, just giving a horse time to mature, whatever it was. He he would say, okay, instead of questioning everything we were doing because he knew that we knew the horse and he didn't. And he accepted what we told him, and we were very factual with everything about the horses. We never – none of the trainers, me, Chris, Joel, Ian, were always extremely honest with him because he was always extremely honest with us. Yep. Yep. And and as my dad told me a long time ago, I'm too dumb to lie because I can't remember the lie. <laughs> so <laughs> the truth is easy to remember. <laughs> well, so, that, that that's fantastic <clears throat> insight into the man himself, uh, Bob Lothenbach, and and so many horses that came through your barn were owned by Bob Lothenbach. You mentioned his contributions to Minnesota where, you know, he bred a lot of horses. Talk a little bit more about that. I want to get to the dispersal and the things that are going to happen coming up at Phasic Tipton <clears throat> with the Lothenbach horses. And I want to talk to you, Neil, more about Bell's the One and Captivating Moon and Happy American, those tremendous greatest stakes winners that he campaigned that you trained. But tell me more about his contributions to the industry in Minnesota. Well, I mean, he, he was Minnesota racing, basically. I mean, a lot of people left out of there when the purses started to drop or they cut half their stables back. Bob increased his. And he did a lot of stuff for people on the racetrack, you know, like the Learning Center, the Disability Center. Uh, don't He donated to a lot of charities without telling people, gave to the chaplaincy, uh, wanted to do anything he could for Minnesota racing. Plus, it's like I also tell people, and, you know, he supported the the sport in every facet. He was a gambler. He loved to gamble on the horses. He was a breeder in Minnesota and in Kentucky, probably one of the leading breeders in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. He, he was a horse owner, and he'd buy at the sales. So he raced, he bought, didn't sell, and he, and he bet, and he gave his money to charities that benefited not only horse racing, but Minnesota in general. So, I mean, I don't know what other thing you can do in horse racing besides what he did. The only thing he didn't do, he wasn't an agent for anybody. Right. <laughs> but he didn't have to be. No, so he, he never did had not. to lie. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can never replace somebody like Bob Lothenbach when, when they leave us. Neil, how could... Bob Lothenbach best be remembered? Um, loyalty, generosity, and um, honesty. I would say those would be the three main things with Bob Lothenbach. And, mm. and, uh, and the loyalty goes with the friendship also. He... Uh, he never wavered. He always was the same. When you called Bob, you knew what you were getting. 
and that's a good thing because a lot of people you call, you don't know what you're getting. That's a heck of a legacy. It is. And, you know, and he, he campaigned some great horses. He was in top 10 leading owners in the, in the country with a lot of them racing in Minnesota where the purse structure isn't that great. Yep. But he was top 10 leading owner in the country for a few years just recently. Yep. Yep. How many of the, the Lothenbach horses do you still have in your barn? I've got 22 horses and 19 of them are Bob's. Mm-hmm. And all 19 will go through the dispersal coming up at Phasic Tipton, either the Horses of Racing Age sale, which begins on Monday, January 29th. That is an online Phasic Tipton digital sale or at the uh, breeding stock. And his breeding stock and his yearlings will be offered at the sale, the Kentucky Winter Mix sale in Lexington on February 5th and February 6th. I'm assuming all of those horses, Neil, will go through? Uh, all the ones I have here will be in the January 29th to February 2nd digital sale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, man, you know, an opportunity for <clears throat> buyers to get some incredible breeding stock and some incredible horses of racing age there, too, I would imagine. Yeah, that, and then we're going to have the two-year-old sell March OBS also, mm-hmm. and there'll be some good buys there too because all the two-year-olds are just going to gallop. They're not going to breeze because that's another thing. Bob didn't make us have them ready for April or May, the two-year-olds. Then that's one reason we have a lot of older horses too. We have a lot of four-, five-, six-year-olds, and, like, I wouldn't get my first two-year-old in until June or July. Oh, wow. We we would take our time with them. I very rarely started a two-year-old before September. Was that so, your idea, but, or was that his just his philosophy? No, that was up to the trainers. If we wanted to have them ready, we could. But like I say, if, if one needed to have time to mature or we just wanted to take our time with them, he had no problem with that. And he spent a lot of money at the yearling sales every year. He yep. spent between 3 and $4 million every year at the sales. But he didn't push us to have any of them ready. So what what do you do from here, Neil, now that the stable is going to be cut down significantly? Where, where does Neil Pessing go from here? Oh, uh, I think there's a soup kitchen not too far from the fairgrounds. <laughs> <laughs> and I may go see if they have, have an opening over there. You know, hopefully the soup's good. <laughs> it is New Orleans. Well, you're in the land uh, of wonderful food, right? Yeah. So no, we'll just have to we'll just have to see how it plays out. I mean, I'm trying to put together a syndicate to buy some, but I don't know that I'll be able to do that or not because I've never really asked anybody to for a horse or to buy any horses, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm not very good at that part of it. So I don't know what'll happen. We'll just have to play it by ear and see if uh, it doesn't work out. It doesn't work out. If it does, it does. I'm just gonna go day by day and see what happens and see how it's going and. If it looks okay, I'll stay in. If not, I'll try and find something else to do. You know what I would think? What I think would be wonderful is if some owners who very well could be listening to this program now and hearing this conversation, if they are planning on taking advantage of this incredible opportunity um, at the Phasic Tipton Sales, if they were to purchase some of those horses and send them right back to you to keep them in training with you, I think that would just be an incredible gesture and so. I mean, it'd be great for you, but it'd be really cool for the sport, too. Yeah, the, you know, the chances of that, and someone else mentioned that today, 
but uh, I think the chances aren't great. Probably at best twenty five seventy five again, mm-hmm. just because a lot of owners already have a relationship with other trainers, and I totally understand that. I just hope that whoever gets these horses that they're in good hands and they take good care of them because otherwise I'll come haunt them. <laughs> what What do you want potential buyers to know about the horses that are going to be offered the Lothenbach horses? Uh, that they're well cared for and uh, they're quality animals and they should be cared for as if they're quality animals and not just a way to get notoriety or or uh, press press clippings. Mm-hmm. They're they've all been uh, nurtured. They've all been taken good care of, and they're treated more like family than pets. It's kind of well, like your dog is part of the family. The horses are part of my family. Good things so if, tend if, to happen if to good gonna people. If anyone's going to hurt them, I'm I'm going to have a lot to say about it. Yeah, good things tend to happen to good people, Neil. And I, I really do hope that some of these horses that are going to be leaving your barn, it, that it's just a temporary situation, that some owners will decide, okay, let's 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 send them back to Neil Pesson, keep this this Lothenbach legacy alive through Neil Pesson. I, I I just think that would be an incredible gesture. It would be, and I'd be very grateful for any of that. As, you know, like I say, there's there's a bunch of them I would love to keep, but I know that's not going to happen overall so we're prepared for whatever happens and hopefully the horses just get good homes and get cared for and they run well after they leave here because they're all in they're not leaving here in bad shape i'll put it that way because if anything with bob if anything ever had any kind of issue at all and we wanted to turn them out or even if they had a little flake that might come out or may not and we take it out bob always said okay he was good with whatever we wanted to do that was in the best interest of the horse and that's how we run the stable. That's how all of us run the stable. Ian, Chris, me, Joel, everybody is about what's best for the horse. Yep. And it's yep. hard to find owners like that anymore, especially with the condition book being online. Well, reach out to Neil Pesson. Help him with that syndicate. It would be great, Neil, if you could put something together and, and go and purchase some of the horses that you would like to hang on to and, and keep working with and caring for. Um, I, I just, I, I think that would be just fantastic. So we'll, we'll see how this all plays out. Um, again, the phasic tipped in digital dispersal of horse racing age sale is going to be, um, January 29th through February 2nd, and then February 5th and 6th, the breeding stock and yearlings portion of it for mm-hmm. the Lothenbach dispersal that is in Lexington, Kentucky. Neil, what was the very first horse that you ever trained for Bob Lothenbach? I knew you were going to ask that, and it was a black <laughs> filly, and I can't remember her name. It was an overflow filly from Chris Block, and he sent me two of them, actually, when I was at Arlington Park, and I had about, I don't know, six or eight horses, and Chris had filled up his 40 stalls, and Chris and I are very good friends, still are to this day, and uh, he sent me the two fillies over, and I think I had sent me one for his dad, actually, and two for bob and uh i think i won with all three of them so he didn't you know chris didn't just pick out the ones that he didn't think were bad or could win he sent me horses that could win Mm -hmm. which a lot of trainers wouldn't have done that 
How long you know, ago was that? Been, what what year was that, Neil? Ooh, that had to be between 15 and 20 years ago. Okay. So th- this relationship... for Bob. Yeah, this relationship goes back nearly two decades. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yep. Who was the yep. first big horse that you trained for, Bob? Hmm. Maybe Eden Prairie. Mm-hmm. I think I think I bought her at the sale for fifty thousand as a yearling, and she made about four hundred and fifty. Got beat a nose in a grade two at Kingland. Won some stakes at the fairgrounds. Placed in some other stakes. Uh, was a very nice filly, and she's actually the dam of Minnesota Ready. Oh, okay. Wow. So I want to say she may have been the first really good horse that I had for him. How long after that did Bell's the one come along? Well, Bell just came along in the last six six years. Yep. So, you know, probably 10, 10 12 years, 10 years after that. Yeah. Yeah. And she won. What what was her first greatest stake? Was it the Lexus Raven run in 2019? Well, let's see. She... I believe that was probably her first graded six win, yeah. Yeah. That would be right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm actually right. looking it up right now. Four. It is. Yep. The Lexus she, Raven. She won her first four. She was uh won her maiden at Arlington Park. Uh then she won a non two at uh Kingland. Then she came to the fairgrounds and she won the Letlier stakes. A sprint stake for Phillies. Yep. Then then she actually won a stake going a mile on the turf. And just did get up, really didn't like the turf that much, but she got up anyway. And then I ran her in the two-year-old stake at Keeneland, going long, mile and a 16th. And the game plan was just break and sit. And uh, she hopped at the start and was probably, I don't know, 10 or 12 lengths behind the next-to-last horse. And I guess for some reason the jock thought she should be close to the lead, so before they made the first turn, She's head and head for the lead on the outside. Ugh. And at Kingland, it's a very short run to the first turn. So that's when she kind of run out of gas at the 3-8 pole. I wasn't a, very happy after that race. <laughs> but but then she, she came back and ran well after that and won 11 out of – or 13 out of 28 races, which is hard to do, especially with me training. But she she overcame me and any other obstacle we had in front of her. Yeah, she well, just she, showed up every time. She really did. Uh, that race referring to at Keeneland, her first graded start was in the Ashland Stakes <clears> the <throat> day she faded and finished seventh that day and then came right back with that second-place finish in the grade two eight bells at Churchill Downs in her, her next start and proved, hey, you know what, I I do belong at this level, and, and that had to give you a lot of confidence. Uh, believe it or not, I had confidence in her even after the race at Kingland because of the way she was ridden. Mm-hmm. I knew that, you know, you can't make up 15, 20 lengths in a 16th of a mile, the first 16th of a mile in a race, going two turns and expect to finish. Yep. And uh, like I said, I wasn't a real happy camper after the race. So I, I knew she would run good in the eight bells. I didn't know how good the play that beat us was but she turned out to be a nice filly. But we were getting better and improving, and as she got older, she kept improving, and she never she never went down a beat. And we even, you know, 
They say it's almost impossible to ship into Saratoga and win a graded stake. Well, she did that too. We got there about three days before the race and trained over the track a couple of days, and she still had a wide trip, came from last, which they said you couldn't do, and still won. That that I, that race is still fresh in my mind. That was the honorable miss, right? Yes, grade yeah. two honorable miss. Grade two. It, I, that race was so impressive. That, to me, was may, maybe not the most impressive win in her career, but it was certainly right up there. Yes, no, it was. And, and she was just a fun mare to watch because you knew she was going to give you everything she had. Yep. She always did. You know, if she got beat, it was usually me or the rider's fault. Ne- almost never her fault. Because she she showed up every time and gave you all she had. She was just a special mare to be around and a special mare to me. And she made me look good. I didn't make her look good. She made me look good. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fantastic. <clears throat> she she was quite the runner. Bell's the one completing her career with 13 wins from 27 starts. In addition to that, she had five seconds and three-thirds. So when you get a horse like that, Neil, that you can bring over, and every single time you know, unless it's the rider's fault or your fault, you know you're going to get her A effort. Boy, that's pretty special. Yeah, every time I let her over, I thought I was going to win. Mm-hmm. Never, I never had any inkling that someone could beat me. So it's just it's hard to get those kinds. Most yeah. of the time you're walking over and say, gee, I hope I get a good trip and maybe I'll have a chance. And <laughs> You know. With her, you walked over saying, I got the best horse, I'm going to win. And and she, like I say, she showed up every time. And, and for the gamblers, she paid well most of the time, too. I think in those 27 or 8 starts, I think she went off the favorite five times. Wow. And three of them were in her, three of them were in her last four or five starts. Wow. That's hard to believe. That's almost impossible when you're, when you're as good as she was. Well... She didn't have Baffert's name as her trainer. She had me. <laughs> so <laughs> that adds a couple points to the betting. Yeah, I, I guess it does. But, boy, what one special filly. What, what is your personal favorite Bell's the One moment when you think back on her career, Neil? Oh, uh, Probably the grade one at uh, Churchill on Derby Day. Mm-hmm. When it came down, it was her and Serengeti Empress down to the wire. And she beat Serengeti a scant nose. That one, it was her first grade one and my first grade one. But two, just the effort she put forth. And she still had a lot of doubters almost through her whole career. People didn't, even uh, when she was in a three horse field at Churchill, one of the analysts, given his picks, picked the other two. Left her off like the pick four, five ticket. You know, that, that kind of thing. She just didn't, never had the respect that I thought she needed. And I thought that race helped propel her to get a little more respect. That that race at Churchill didn't only include Serengeti Empress, who she beat by a nose. You had Sally's Curlin, you had Cece, and you had Bella Fina were all in that race. So there were some really good fillies in there. And, and there's another case where Bell's the one. Neil paid a solid price, 1040 for the win. Yeah, and that was one of her smaller prices. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean if you look at some of her greatest stakes wins, it's twenty eight, thirty dollars. Her her first time out, I mean, she had a, a bullet work on the program and she still paid I think it was sixty dollars. <laughs> you know, I mean it was just she never to me, she never got the respect she deserved. And that may have been partially because I had her 
or, you know, people don't like to come from out of it horses. I don't know. Yeah. But all I know is she showed up and she won a bunch. And $2 million so, in the bank when she retired with that, that brilliant career. Neil, we, we've got to get to a short commercial break. Stay with me. When we come back, we'll continue to talk more about some of the horses that you've had come through your care, especially the ones that were owned by your dear friend, Bob Lothenbach. We'll do that next. It's all on all ahead on Trainer Talk, presented by Fasic Tipton on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Fasig Tipton Digital presents the Lothenbach Dispersal of Horses of Racing Age, offering more than 75 horses of racing age from Lothenbach Stables, a leading national stable that produced more than $30 million in earnings and over 800 wins since the year 2000, including a large selection of Kentucky and Minnesota breads from one of North America's top owners. The Lothenbach Dispersal of Horses of Racing Age, online only. Bidding opens on digital.fasigtipton.com January 29th and closes February 2nd. Let's get digital. It's time to get ready for the 2024 Thoroughbred season at Woodbine Racetrack, the number one turf track in North America. Season runs from April to December with over 62 million in purses with an industry-leading stakes program including two Canadian classics, the Grade 1 Million Dollar Rico Woodbine Mile and the Million Dollar King's Plate. Woodbine offers top safety-rated racing and training services, plus world-class facilities. Make Woodbine your home turf this season. Learn more at woodbine.com. There are plenty of thrills at Gulfstream Park with live thoroughbred action Friday through Sunday and simulcasting seven days a week. Join us on track for weekend stakes races and make plans for opening day of the championship meet on Friday, December 1st. Dine trackside in 10 Palms with an elevated view of the track and grab a cool cocktail in the Carousel Club. For reservations, tickets, and more, head to GulfstreamPark.com. Well, Fazig's family, basically. Some of the guys that work here I've known for 30 years. I just felt really supported and they're, they're great communicators. They try to help in whatever you do. Fazig Tipton has a sale for every market, every segment in the industry. There's multiple opportunities where you're gonna have plenty of good buying and selling situations. Great customer service. I'm not only a buyer with them, but I'm a seller, and I've always been well taken care of. There's a lot of different things that sometimes you need at a sale, and Fazig Tipton is there every step of the way. They show year after year that they're ethical, and they're fair, and they enjoy what they do. But when you're around people that have a combination of all those things, you know, you can't lose. This is Trainer Talk, presented by Fasig Tipton on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Serengeti Empress whipping a look. Look at that half. 43.77 seconds. She is just rolling coming to the quarter pole. And here comes Cece now to take her on at the top of the stretch. Serengeti Empress in front. Cece still a length behind as they arrive at the eighth pole. And Bell's the one is bearing down. On the far outside, Serengeti Empress still there. Bell's the one in CC. Here comes Bell's the one on the outside. Serengeti Empress digs in. These two down to the line. Head bobbing finish. Oh, it's close. Bell's the one. C 
Sharon getting Empress Funner all the way to the finish. Sally's Curlin was next in 121.07. What a finish. Oh, what a finish indeed. That was Larry Colmus with the call of the Derby City Distaff, Grade 1 at Churchill Downs, September 5th. 2020. It was won by Bells the One over Serengeti Empress and everybody else. You heard my special guest Neil Pesson talking about that race, saying that was probably his favorite Bells the One moment in what was a brilliant career, so we had to play it for him coming out of the break. Pretty special stuff. I'll get back to Neil in just a moment, but first, want to remind you that if you missed any portion of the first half of this program, or any of our trainer talk shows. You can listen to the podcast whenever you have some time. You can do that on our website at horseracingradio.net, or you can do it on any podcast platform. So whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Podbean, however you get your podcasts, simply type in Horse Racing Radio Network and follow along with all of our shows each and every week. Well, Neil, there you go. The Derby City Distaff, you said it was your favorite. You got it, my friend. What was going through your mind as you're listening to Larry Colmus? I could see the race vividly, actually, and see her coming down the middle of the racetrack and saw them two hook up and just waiting for the photo to go up and everyone's reaction after it did. So it was a pretty special day. You didn't know that you had the photo one when they hit the wire, right? No clue. No clue. In fact, I even told Tom, I said, I'd take a dead heat because, <laughs> we, I mean, we knew it was that close and we didn't, we didn't know. Incredible. So I'd always hope she got up, and I knew she was a very game filly, but I also knew Tom's filly was too. She didn't, she didn't like to give it up either. So it was two very A-type personalities going at it. Yeah, a, a race that – A-plus that day. The legendary Tom Durkin would probably say it was a race <clears throat> that did not deserve a loser. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Both horse, Both horses ran winning races. Yep, incredible. You were telling me uh, during the commercial break, and I said, hey, hold on, we're coming back from the break, so the timing was perfect. You said that Bell's the one, as good as she was, she actually cost you a lot of money in her very first start. She did. I'd actually saved up a bunch of money to bet on her, about $1,000, which was a lot for me back then. And uh, about two weeks before her first race, Four or five different times in the morning, she'd be galloping, and she would just stop right in mid-gallop, anywhere from before the wire to after the wire. Uh, within a sixteenth of a mile, she'd just stop and would not go. Had to, had to go lead her off the racetrack and lead her back to the barn to get her to go. Mm. The rider couldn't get her to go. So when it comes time for the race, now she's got me thinking. Well, is she going to stop in the race? Is she going to be bad in the paddock? Is she going to be bad in the gate? Because she was kind of a high-strung, quirky filly anyway. And after that, we just started, anytime we breathe, she breathes with company in front of her to give her a target. Mm-hmm. So the closer we got to the race and the more I had the $1,000 in my hand, I'm thinking about what is she going to do? I knew she had the ability to win, but now I didn't know if she had the mentality to win. And... Uh, so I cut my bet down to $50 to win and show. <laughs> and she and she paid like $60, one easy, never a doubt. Yeah. <laughs> might, might be one of the few races she came up the fence and in between horses instead of being on the outside. <laughs> but she was just so much the best. And uh, that was on poly track, actually. She actually won on poly, dirt, turf, long, and short. 
But other than that, she really didn't win on any other surfaces or distances. Right, right. right. <laughs> uh, she didn't. She didn't have to run over uh, over stone or concrete or anything like that. It, or glass or anything like that. No. She would have won if she <laughs> if she had to, though. Oh, I have no doubt. I have no doubt. <laughs> Uh, just tremendous stuff. Bell's the one going to be remembered fondly for a very, very long time. What, what's your favorite um, or maybe your most cherished piece of Bell's the one memorabilia that you still have, Neil? Boy, I still have quite a bit, actually. That's hard to say. Uh, probably I've got her uh, name plaque that they use at Churchill for the grade one winners. So they, they took it down to repaint, never put it back up, so I just carry it with me from track to track wherever I go. Mm-hmm. And that's that's probably my number one memorabilia for her. Mm-hmm. No, that's a great, that's a wonderful piece of memorabilia to, to have. Outside of Bell's the One, tell me about some of the other Lothenbach horses that are always going to hold a special place in your heart. Oh, well, Eden Prairie's one who we've discussed before. Yeah, she she was kind of like Bell. She just tried hard every time she ran. She didn't have all the ability that Bell had, but she was close. And uh, like I say, she got beat a nose in a grade two only because the filly that beat her came way on the outside, and she never saw her. Caught her the last jump, and beat her a scant about like the Bell and Serengeti Empress finish was. Mm-hmm. So, but we've had other really nice horses. Uh, we ran uh, third in the uh, race at Charlestown, the big race at Charlestown with Mr. Mardi Gras. Yep. And he should have won and got a bad trip that night. He was a big price. He's like 40 to 1. And everyone's congratulating me after the race for being third. And Bob called up and congratulated me, and I was mad because we didn't win because we should have. We just had a bad trip in the race. Mm-hmm. We were still last when we turned for home at Charlestown, which – you know, that's a very, very short stretch, and he came flying once he got free. Uh, Happy American, just recently, and, you know, he won two stakes down here. He was third in the Stephen Foster this year, so or this in 2023. Uh, Captivating Moon, who Chris Block had for most of the time, but I had him some. Just another hard-knocking, hard-trying horse. Minnesota Ready, who I've got right now, uh, is another one. He should have won the stake here the other day. Was third, beat a half length. Yep. So, I mean, you there's quite a few horses and quite a few different personalities. That you know, when you think of uh, Lothenbach Stables, those are the horses that come to mind to me right away. Happy American won the Louisiana Stakes last year. Uh, at the fairgrounds, and that's a grade three. Would would that have been? I, I guess it might not have been the the last greatest stakes that Bob Lothenbach won, but it had to be pretty close, right? I'm trying to think. It may have been the last one. I'm yeah. not 100 percent sure. Well, that was. Uh, yeah, that may have been the last one that he won graded stakes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was in, um, let's see. Well, that was. He won that race in, it would have been... A, a year ago this month. Yep. Yep, January of 2023. Yeah, it's, you know, it's been close to a year to the to the date almost. Mm-hmm. Because that's the race he just ran third in recently, just got beat for second. 
we weren't going to beat the winner. If we got around 10 more times, we weren't going to beat the winner. Yeah. That was Saudi Crown, who's headed to the uh, Saudi Cup next, I think. But, uh, yeah, all those. And, and his, running, his running style is kind of like Bell's a little bit. He comes from the clouds. And with the only difference between him and Bell is Bell, you you knew she was going to get up, and happy you're hoping he's going to get up. Yep. So, but that being said, uh, he he shows up and runs his race every time too, unless it's like I say, something me or the jock did to get him beat. But he's he's always going to be competitive no matter what race you put him in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there there's so many moments that. You started the conversation as we opened the show, Neil, by using the word gratitude for a guy like Bob Lothenbach, but so many moments that he has provided to you and to Chris Block and others that he had horses with, whether it was Minnesota or on the national stage. And I'm sure a lot of people, Chris included, would use that same word, gratitude, for somebody like Bob Lothenbach. Oh, there's no question. Gratitude and loyalty are, you know, the, best two ways to describe him because I mean every trainer has a down year especially if you don't have a big stable and and he never wavered Mm -hmm. at any time even from race to race a lot of guys get mad and Bob was the same all the time and you know like I say it's just hard to replace a guy like him in the business just because if he was involved in every facet yeah you know buying betting racing breeding he did everything and he bred to he bred cheap horses and good horses so he helped everybody in the industry out you know a lot of our minnesota bred horses we didn't breed them to into mischief you know they bred them to five ten thousand dollar stallions which they need they need help too and there's just a lot of guys that don't do that you know they want all the big names even if they got a cheap mare they want a big name stallion Mm -hmm. so with Bob, it was read according to what the mayor is, and and he did read to the into mischiefs and like Bell was going to go to Gunrunner if we'd have kept her, you know. So we we were breeding to the better horses, but we also bred for racing, not for commercial. Yeah. So yep. we helped the little guys out too with the with the cheaper stallions. Didn't and he breed Vicari too? If I'm not mistaken, he did. That is one he did sell. Yeah. But I think he had to get $2.9 million to sell her. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought for sure that, that he was part of that, that whole story with Vicari. And she went on to earn, what, $1.2 million or something, right? Yeah. she He sold her after she won the Queen Elizabeth at uh, Kingland. Mm-hmm. She went yep. into the uh, Night of the Stars sale at Fazek Tipton. Yeah, sold for $2.8 million. Yeah, so, you know, he had her, I think she was four for four maybe. Okay. Either three for three or four for four when he sold her. And that's that's the filly that Chris Block uh, developed, and she was a homebred. Yeah, that's just that's just tremendous. And that Vicaria, daughter of Lear fan, um, out of the valid appeal mare, appealing storm. So uh, you, you mentioned – you know, Lear fan was certainly pretty darn good as a stallion, but again, not into mischief, not tap it, right? It w- not of that caliber, but pretty good. Right, but he bred, like I say, he bred to race, not to sell. Yep. 
that's a lost art, isn't it? It is. It is because a lot of people breed for commercial. And another thing we didn't do on any of our horses, any of the foals, very few surgeries to correct confirmation because we weren't selling. And I think that's another reason we our horses stay sounder longer also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, horses that don't have those procedures, they can, with some time off and, you know, the proper care, they can overcome a lot of those things, can't they? Yes. Well, and mainly it's just knowing when to give a horse time. You know, before they get to the point where they have to have time, mm-hmm. you give them a little time. And, and it's it's only sometimes 30 days, sometimes 60 days, could be 90 days. But it saves you years down the road. Yeah. So, and like I say, Bob was good with doing any of that that we asked him to do. Well, Neil, listen, it, it has been so much fun to take a trip down memory lane with you, and I, I really appreciate you doing this. I know it can't be easy to see these horses go through the dispersal, um, and it's the end of a legacy for sure. But, I, again, I hope that somebody's listening to this program that's going to buy some of those horses, and I hope they end up right back in your barn, my friend, because I, I think you deserve it. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I hope they do too because the sale won't be too hard, but when they actually walk out the door is going to be the hard part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, We've done especially it. with some of the older horses because – You've kind of got to know them and build a relationship, and you know it's it's kind of like getting getting rid of your dog that's been a your favorite mammal for including people for a long time. Yeah, it won't be easy, Neil, but you you've done a remarkable job, and you can rest easy knowing that. And I I really appreciate you taking time to do this. I know it couldn't have been easy for you at times, so thank you so much. Um, I, I know you'll be back, and I I can't wait to uh, see what the future holds for Neil Pesson. I know there's big things ahead, my friend. Well, thank you very much. As they say, time will tell. Yes, it will. Appreciate it, Neil. All the best. Thank you very much. Have a good day. All right. That is Neil Pesson, and one of the true, true good guys in the sport of thoroughbred racing and in life, and uh, what a conversation with him. If you missed any portion, head back, check out the podcast at our website, horseracingradio.net. You can also do that on every podcast platform. Just make sure you give that show a listen because it was really good. And uh, make sure you're checking out those dispersals from the Lothenbach uh, family of incredible racehorses coming up at Phasic Tipton, beginning with the digital sale at the end of this month. I'll be back to take a look at some very special moments and big wins from Lothenbach Stables right after this. Phasing Tipton Digital presents the Lothenbach Dispersal of Horses of Racing Age, offering more than 75 horses of racing age from Lothenbach Stables, a leading national stable that produced more than $30 million in earnings and over 800 wins since the year 2000, including a large selection of Kentucky and Minnesota breads from one of North America's top owners. The Lothenbach Dispersal of Horses of Racing Age, online only. Bidding opens on digital.phasingtipton.com January 29th and closes February 2nd. Let's get digital. Welcome back to Trainer Talk presented by Fazek Tipton. What a fantastic visit with trainer Neil Pesson, remembering the late Bob Lothenbach and looking back on some of the top horses that he had the privilege to be around and campaign in those Lothenbach colors. I thought it would be fun for the final segment of the program here to take a look back at some of Lothenbach Stable's most incredible and most notable runners over the past 20 years or so. In 2004, 20 years ago, it got started in the grade one Humana Distaff with a horse named Mayo on the side. 
off and running in the Humanity staff. Good even break. Kiyasakuri to the front. Randaru takes the lead. Randaru sprints away now by a length. Kiyasakuri second. May on the side racing third. And Zeri, the early trailer, just two and a half lengths off the pace. Well bunched up the backside. It's Randaru and John Velasquez. Now Mike Smith sees an opening. He sends Azari up to tackle her early on the inside. She'll track off the inside rail. Kiyasakuri is racing third. And Mayo on the side is at the back of the pack. Now four lengths off the pace. The opening quarter was decent. 22 and two fifth seconds. Moving towards the Farter, not that fast up front. Randaru clear by two as things are on way. Azari steered off the fence to track now from second. Mayo on the side third. And Kiai Sakura now six off the pacemaker at the back of the pack. Randaru the one to catch Azari now up the tackle on the outside. Mayo on the side. She's coming quickly to join the top pair from third by three. And Kiai Sakura at the back of the pack. Half mile they picked it up. 45 seconds flat. They turn for home. Three across the track. Azari taking a short lead. Mayo on the side, right up to her, throw it on the outside, Randaru can't hang with the top pair, three back to Kiai Sakura, Mayo on the side, running big to the outside of Azari, Mike Smith gets after Azari, Mayo on the side, and Pat Day on the outside, Azari at nose in front, she's tough as nails, Mayo on the side of the outside, Mayo on the side, or Azari ding-donging down to the wire, Mayo on the side by a nostril, beating the champion, Azari, Randaru was third of the Humana distance. Two years later, it was the incredible Vakari, who I talked about with Neil, who would give Bob Lothenbach another grade one after winning the grade three pucker up stakes, came to Keeneland and took the grade one, Queen Elizabeth II. Single Solution in 2009 would win the Pin Oak Valley View at Keeneland. Bear Path in 2010 took the Pan American. And then it was time for Mr. Mardi Gras to strut his stuff. Neil talked about his effort at Charlestown in the Charlestown Classic. Well, he also won the Washington Park Handicap. And then this effort in the ACAC at Churchill. They're racing in the ACAC handicap and not a good start for Nacho Friend, who jumped in the air at the start, so Gladding's going to make the lead. Now Nacho Friend is going to have to recover, and he'll sit second early, and he's guided just to the outside of Gladding by Garrett Gomez as they go into the turn. Glenwood Canyon is third to the outside. Almodoro follows in fourth and is three and a half lengths off the lead. Demarcation is after that. A ground-saving run there for Mr. Mardi Gras, who settles back second last, six lengths from the front, and three and a half ahead of Equestrio. 25 and two, a walking opening quarter here for Gladding and Rafael Bejarano, and they lead the way by a length and a half. Nacho Friend is in second. Glenwood Canyon third to the outside, but it's Almodoro in fourth and racing about four lengths off the lead. Mr. Mardi Gras and Demarcation are right together, and Equestrio is still last with not much pace in front of him. He's nine lengths behind the half mile, 51 seconds flat. Gladding. On top as they go into the turn. Nacho Friend is alongside, and Glenwood Canyon's going to get into it, too. And now these three are right together, and Almodoro is in fourth. They're followed by Mr. Mardi Gras, who's got four and a half lengths to make up. And then it's Demarcation and Equestrio. Three quarters in one, 15 and one. They're into the stretch. It's been gladding all the way. And here's Glenwood Canyon up alongside. Almodoro comes up after them. Mr. Mardi Gras down the center of the track. Then Equestrio at the fence and demarcation. A dramatic finish in the ACAC. Almodoro, Mr. Mardi Gras to the outside. And Glenwood Canyon, here's Mr. Mardi Gras to win the ACAC. Almodoro was second. Glenwood Canyon third. And gladding finished fourth. 
Six years later, Sonic Boom took the American Derby. That was in 2017. And then came time for the brilliant Bell's the One. Neil talked about that first greatest stakes victory in 2019, the Lexus Raven run at Keeneland. She earned her first grade one in the Derby City Distaff. That was in 2020. You heard that call earlier. And her final greatest stakes win of her career came in the Thoroughbred Club of America stakes at Keeneland in 2021. And they're off in the Thoroughbred Club of America. Miss Mosaic was quick into stride, but here's in the midst of biz. Frank's Rocket there down toward the inside. In the midst of biz has a head in front. Frank's Rocket to the inside. Miss Mosaic is there up on the far outside. And then Club Car, who runs along in the fourth position early on. Estilo Talentoso alongside her in fifth. And Bell's the one. His sixth and last as they head on to the far turn, running six lengths from the lead. Back up front, it is in the midst of biz, 21.57 seconds was the time for the opening quarter. Miss Mosaic is alongside, but in the midst of biz, leads it by a neck against the rail. Estilo Talentoso is third, tries to pick up the leaders now. Just over a quarter mile to go, a length and a half off the lead. Frank's Rocket looks to the inside, Bell's the one, starts her run, moves out to the center of the track from last, just outside of Club Car, who's five from the lead. They turn for home. In the midst of biz, the leader, Bell's the one, is coming down the outside. Frank's Rocket is trying to squeeze through toward the inside. Estilo Estilo Talentoso is there as well. Frank's Rocket up the rail. Estilo Talentoso is there. And Bell's the one on the outside. Club Car runs late down the extreme outside. Bell's the one. Club Car. Bell's the one. Club Car. Estilo Talentoso. Bell's the one. Takes it by a neck for Corey Lannery. One minute, 8.63 seconds. While Bell's the one was doing her thing, there were other greatest stakes winners campaigned by Lothenbach Stables that had an impact all over the country, including Captivating Moon, who took the fairground stakes in 2021, and Churn and Burn, winner of the Pan American in 2021, and then She Can't Sing, who took the grade three Chaluki the following year, 2022, and Neil talked about Happy American and that huge win just about one year ago at the fairgrounds in the 2023 Louisiana Stakes. They're off in the Louisiana Stakes, and there's Chess Chief. Forza Duro in the orange cap starts a bid. Run Classic toward the inside, and Zozos is up with ease. Forza Duro went to the front for Florent Giroux. It's Forza Duro who leads a close-up Zozos with Run Classic in the red cap. Mr. Wireless now in fourth. Chess Chief broke real sharp, now settled in fifth, or racing a length in front of Happy American and the Royal Blue, and the Gray Intrepid Heart has dropped back to last at the six-and-a-half. Forza Dioro dictates the grade three. Forza Dioro in front of Zozo Send. Run Classic. The opening quarter covered in 25.08 seconds. Forza Dioro allowed to dictate terms. It's Forza Dioro doing this easily out in front of Run Classic and Zozos. They're a joint second. Mr. Wireless is running a clear fourth. Chess Chief together with Happy American. Intrepid Heart Trails. Eight lengths from leader to last. And still in charge of the pace is Forza Dioro. Half mile in 49.75 seconds. They enter the far turn. Forza Dioro continues to lead the Louisiana Stakes. It's Forza Dioro in front here by just about the length to Zozos with toward the inside run classic. Mr. Wireless is starting a bid from fourth. Zozos now to take on Forza Dioro as they come toward the quarter pole. Here comes Happy American. Here comes Intrepid Heart sweeping. Chess Chief is right there too. It's up for grabs as they straighten away. Three quarters in one minute 15.09 seconds. It's still Forza Dioro. Here's Mr. Wireless run classic at the rail. Zozos, Happy American charging hard on the outside. 
One for long to go. A thriller. Happy American. Mr. Wireless. They battle. Forza Oro is right there, too. Not going down without a fight. It's Happy American for James Graham. Happy American beats Mr. Wireless. Forza Oro third in the Louisiana Stakes. And then next across was Brunt Classic and Zozo's. Thanks for spending time with me today on Trainer Talk presented by Phasing Tipton. A wonderful visit with trainer Neil Pesson, and then I hope you enjoyed that look back at some of the top Lothenbach runners over the past two decades. A special man, and he is going to be missed in the world of thoroughbred racing. Don't forget to check out the dispersals of the Lothenbach horses coming up at Phasing Tipton, Phasing Tipton Digital, and of course at the Phasing Tipton Kentucky sale in early February. I'm Mike Penna. Thanks for listening to this edition of Trainer Talk presented by Phasic Tipton.